This is just one of those days. I don't, <laughs> don't have my remote control for the thing, so guys, we're going to point at you, okay? <laughs> this remains solid, though. The Word of God never changes. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this. God's Word as written in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. May God bless the reading of his word. <laughs> One of those days. I'm having fun though, or hope you are too. I don't know if you've ever heard a preacher that you didn't think he knew what he was talking about. That's a loaded statement to make when I'm standing up here, I know. But if you haven't, you may be about to. Because over the course of the next couple of weeks, or the next few weeks, this church is entering into a process to recognize among them those who have servant hearts, and can then be given the office or title of deacon. And the elders asked me for this Sunday and next Sunday to use my sermon time as a time to discuss the role and the characteristics of deacons. Well, next week's going to be easy because we do have some passages that describe to us the qualities or the characteristics of people who serve in this role of deacon. But today, today we're going to be looking at what is it that deacons do. And quite honestly, the definitive answer to that question is, we're not real sure. So we're going to try to be honest with that, and we're going to look at those passages that we do have and try to tease out some ideas as to what is it that we're asking people to do when we give them this title of deacon. And it's important, you know, I know today we're not going to be talking about the gospel, and we're not going to be talking about uh, things of the heart. But the organization of the church is very important because uh, the church is an organism, a body, and it fulfills so many needs in God's wisdom in our lives. 
But it is also an organization that is meant to be effective in its work. And in doing the work of the kingdom in this community and throughout the world. So we want to be organized well. And we want to be organized scripturally. We want to be organized effectively. So... Let's look at these passages and find out what we can find out from the New Testament and then also looking a little past the New Testament into the early years of the church and see how they work this all out as we answer this question, what is it that a deacon does anyway? Some early churches did have deacons. This we at least know. Now, every church that's referred to in the New Testament, we don't have a notation that, oh yeah, they had some deacons too. But we do know that some of the churches did. For example, Philippi had deacons. When Paul was writing his thank you note, which we call the book of Philippians, for some help that the church in Philippi had sent to him while he was in prison, he begins his letter this way. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So there it seems like there is this group of people that's been identified there within the church of Philippi. Not only the group that is known as bishops or as we often call them to elders, but also deacons. And then we also know that Ephesus either had deacons or were about to have deacons because Paul writes to Timothy instructions on what to look for in those that are going to be appointed by him to serve as deacons within that church. So we can at least put that down, can't we? Okay, at least some of the churches, if not all, we're not sure, but at least some of them did have deacons. Now, I warned you we were going to expand a little past the New Testament. If we look at some of the writings, well, such as Clement of Alexandria, who was active in the church as a leader from the year 75 to 100 AD, which Clement's life overlapped the life of the apostles, and it's thought that he even knew some of the apostles. And so he worked with the church just after the apostles had left the scene. And if we read his writings, we find out things like this. That the apostles had appointed elders and deacons in the churches. And he even makes the comment, some of those elders and deacons who were appointed by the apostles themselves were still living at the time that Clement was writing. Now, if we go just a little further and look at Ignatius, Ignatius wrote in about 115 A.D. He refers to deacons, and he tells us that they were subject to the bishops or the elders of the church and to the law of Christ. And he goes on to explain, he says, you know, since the apostles have all died, then the elders of the churches stand in place of the apostles as far as being the leaders of the churches, and that the deacons are entrusted then with the service of Jesus Christ, that he says. And by the way, it's interesting that he puts a little parenthesis in there. When he's talking about deacons, he says, you know what? These are my favorite people in the church. So if you are a deacon, then Ignatius likes you, all right? He thinks that you're pretty special. 
Then if we keep on going to people like Hippolytus and Justin Martyr, who were on into the late 2nd century and early 3rd centuries, they have more to say about the structure of the church, and we just have a little more information, at least what was going on at that time in the church. They say things like this, that the deacons were basically assistants to the bishops. They worked at the good pleasure of the bishops. They were assigned tasks to accomplish by the bishops of the churches. They served the communion within the assembly of the church. That was one of the tasks that the deacons, at this time at least, were accomplishing. They also collected the offerings for the church as deacons. And then they were called to visit the sick and the poor and the indigent and to take them alms, to take them the physical things that they needed for their lives, and also for those church members who were ill and were unable to attend worship, the deacons were called upon then to take the Lord's Supper to them on Sunday after the meeting of the church in order for them then to participate in the communion of the church. Now, that's what we learn by looking at the few references we have in the New Testament, and then by pushing the borders a little bit, just asking, well, how did the early church there in the first couple of hundred years of its history, what did they do when they sorted out all of this organization about what deacons were supposed to do? So, so far we know this, that within at least some of the churches, if not all of the churches, there were a group designated as deacons, and that deacons worked closely with the bishops or the elders, and that their work primarily was dedicated to acts of service. Now, that last point makes a lot of sense. It's not surprising when we look back and look at the very meaning of the word deacon itself. The term deacon, when you say deacon, you're speaking Greek, all right? That's really not an English word. Well, it is now because we brought it into English. But, you know, sometimes when you're translating from one language to another, you translate the meaning of the word. Other times you just take the word and make it a new word in the language that you're using. And that's where deacon came from. Deacon came from the Greek word. It's Oh, we're using different uh, programs, aren't we? <laughs> okay. That was supposed to say diakonos, all right? That's the Greek word, so just when you see that, I guess, can any of y'all read that? Is that Klingon? Is this, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know that language. But deacon comes from the word diakonos. Diakonos means a servant, or specifically a table waiter. If you went to Chili's, you needed a diakonos. You needed someone to come to your table and to take your order, to bring you your water, to bring you your food. And that's what basically a diakonos or a deacon was in the ancient world. It was the person who served you at your table. The Greek, uh, the, 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 <laughs> there it is again, the verb form diakoneo, 
uh, just simply means one who does that. I mean, to do that, if you can play the part of a table waiter, you have someone over to your house, you tell them to sit down, and you go and you get the food, and you bring it to the food, you help them, but you are playing the role of a deacon or a diakonos by doing that. And then, of course, then, I'm sorry to say, we got one more of those, um, that is the ministry of the noun form, which basically means service. It became to be known then as ministry too. Ministry and service are synonyms in English, and those words then were used to translate whenever it's translated. Because you see, sometimes in the Bible we translate the word diakonos as a servant or a minister, and other times we choose to bring it over as a title. And that's really interesting. When do you do that? When is this a title that someone wears and they're doing this office in the church? And when does it just simply mean that this person is a servant? This person is a good servant-hearted person who goes out and does things for others. That's kind of an issue that we deal with. Jesus uses this word in the New Testament. Uh, well, wait a minute. Well, first of all, we look at this in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. You know, when Jesus... Uh, was at the wedding feast and they ran out of wine. Well, who is it that goes and has to fill up those big jugs? And then who uh, takes the water that's turn, turned into wine and takes it and says, well, it's the diakonos, it's the deacons, it's the ones who are waiting on the table. Another interesting use of this word is that one right there, is the women, can you all help me out up there? It's not coming through. Uh, the women that followed Jesus around, thank you, in Luke chapter 8, who ministered or who did the work of a deacon to the needs of Jesus and his apostles out of their resources. Uh, I don't know if it's ever occurred to you or not, but Jesus had to eat. Uh, his apostles had to eat. They had basic human needs as they traveled about preaching and teaching. And there were a group of wealthy women that traveled with them who cooked the food, who bought the food, who took care uh, of these guys, because you know how helpless we men are, right? Okay, you got it. So these women serve, uh, functioned as diakonos, or diakonoi, as they ministered to the needs of Jesus. Now then, to Jesus, and he took this word and elevated the word. You know, Jesus took certain words that were common in the language and made them something really special. We've already mentioned baptism is a word. The word agape, uh, the word agape, which most of you recognize as the Christian love, the love that God has for us, the love that Jesus has for us, and the kind of love then we are called to have for one another, was a, a, a not that common of a word at the time that the New Testament was written. Uh, but it was taken and elevated and given a special need, a special uh, a use, and then it became something very common that Christians talked about. They even talked about agape feast, where they came and they showed their love for one another and served one another. Well, he did that also with this word deacon or to serve. He says, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your deacon, your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must become a slave to all, which is a different word. But if you want to be great, then you learn what, how to serve other people. If you really want to be great, you just make yourself a slave to other people. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to be a deacon, to serve others. Now, with Jesus 
identifying himself as someone who was to serve, then the idea of serving really rose. Remember the story where Jesus asked the question, he said, who's the greatest? The person that works, walks into the restaurant and sits down and orders a big, nice meal or the person who brings that meal to the table? Do you remember that when he asked that question? He said, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's the person who has the money and the resources to go into the restaurant and afford to eat. But I'm telling you, it's the person that brings the food to the table, the one who's working on the behalf of the other. That person is a greater person. He turned things upside down. He's, in, in the ancient world, if you had to serve other people, you were a nobody. And Jesus says, no, no, no. In my kingdom, those who serve other people, they are the ones who are the important ones. They are the ones who are the great ones. Because that's why I came was to serve. And so he gave a special significance to that. And because of that, in the rest of the New Testament, especially Paul, when Paul uses this word serve, he uses it in a very uh, cherished way. Uh, It becomes a badge of honor to be of service to others. And therefore, if you're described as a servant or you're doing services, then you are someone who has heard the call of Christ. And oftentimes when we translate these words, we translate it minister rather than servant because it kind of carries with it that idea of how important this is. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in every one. So he takes that word services and makes it ministries. And so as the New Testament. As we read through the New Testament, then we we start picking up on the idea that that there's a lot of different ministries. There's a lot of different ways that we can serve the Lord and particularly serve the Lord then in the church. Now, certain individuals in the New Testament were identified by this word diakonos. The question we have is, well, when they're called a diakonos, are they this special group of deacons or are they simply a servant or a minister? For example, Timothy is called a faithful diakonos. Well, what was he? Was, we know that Timothy was an evangelist. We know that he was a preacher. But was he also recognized as a deacon? We don't know. He could have been just someone who was doing a ministry and serving. Another man that's uh, listed as this is Tychicus. Tychicus uh, is a man that pops up several times in Paul's writings. Paul really liked Tychicus. He says he was a faithful deacon for the Lord. And, well, did he carry the title deacon? We don't know. Maybe he was just a minister, a servant. He did something else. You know what's kind of interesting, though? (laughs) Trey, you're laughing at me. There is only one person in the New Testament that we we can really come down hard and say, this person was called by the title deacon. Her name was Phoebe. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Paul says, Phoebe is a deacon in the church at Sincrea. She's coming to Rome. You need to help her do the task that she's coming to do. Now, we know that that Phoebe was being then identified with this group of people called deacons because if if we're describing her just as a servant, Paul would have used the feminine form of the word deacon. 
He would have used the feminine form of the word servant, but he puts the title, which is a masculine adjective describing a woman which is totally out of place unless it's a title. And so it's interesting that as we study about deacons, the only one deacon that we can name for sure that held the office of deacon in the New Testament, it's an inconvenient truth, but it is Phoebe, all right? Okay, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon, and there's the Klingon again, of the church of Sincrea, which is a masculine form of the word, which means it's a title given to her, not a description given to her. Well, other relevant text as we finish up. The one that we read, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. This is the text that is most often pointed to to describe what deacons do. The interesting thing is that the word deacon never appears in the text. However, the verb form to serve tables does. If you read through your Bible, you find out that, as we said, that they needed someone to serve tables. There was a controversy because the early church was giving out food to the widows. Uh, The widows at that time, of course, had no social security, no pension, and once their husband died, really their means of support was gone. And so the church began helping to feed the widows, and they set up a program so that the widows could come and get food from the church. But some of the, 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 the people felt like their widows, it's Greeks and Jews, it's always kind of the tension there in the early church, uh, felt like their widows weren't getting a fair share. So they came to the apostles and told them that. Says, we need something set up so that our widows get treated fairly. The apostles said, we are so busy preaching and teaching, and that's what we're called to do. We are called to serve the word of God, not to serve tables. And so what you need to do is, is appoint seven guys for you to do this. Uh, and that's interesting because if you read back in Old Testament history or in intertestamental history, Uh, This was what the synagogue did. The synagogue had a committee of seven people in charge of benevolence. And so this wasn't kind of like a new idea, especially to the Jewish uh, Christians, because they recognized that this is what the synagogue did as well. You found seven guys, and they were in charge of handing out the alms and handing out the, uh, the, the help to other people. So they said, do that. And they did. They found seven men. Two of them we know a little bit more about, Stephen and Philip, who also turned out to be quite effective evangelists. Uh, Stephen got himself in trouble because he was so effective. Uh, Philip, of course, we've got a couple of stories about him as he goes out and preaches and teaches as well. But we do know that the early church looked to this story as a model for deacons. You know how we know that? Because early churches only had seven deacons. In the third century church in Rome, they had 46 elders and seven deacons. So for centuries, they held on to that seven, which I'm not saying that was the intention, but it, but it does point the way that this was looked at as a text to tell us then what deacons do. One other passage that often pops up in discussions of deacons is 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 16. No, that is not the passage that tells us the qualities of deacons. We're going to look at that next week. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a passage about the widows. And uh, the early church also had a system that we don't have today where they would enroll any widow who was 60 years of age or older that the church would support that woman, but she had duties then to perform. 
She would go out and visit the sick. She would go out and help those who were poor. So she became a person who worked for and with the church and by then was given her support so that she would have her basic needs. And oftentimes that group, although again, just like in Acts chapter 6, the word deacon is not found there, uh, is looked to as maybe a part of the diaconate or the deacons that, that these older women then performed as well. So summing up, here we go. Here's what we know. At least some of the early churches designated a group of Christians as deacons, that these deacons worked closely with the bishops and elders, performing tasks as assigned by the bishops and elders, primarily but not limited to uh, taking care of the physical needs of the church. And then the only other conclusion that I can draw from all of this, there seems to be some flexibility in the system. You know, God seems to not have just aligned it out and said, number one, number two, number three, number four. But he says, you know, you've got your leadership in the church, the elders who are now standing in the place of the council of the apostles. And we look to them to make sure that the physical needs of the church are taken care of. And since there is no designated one, two, three step, we look to them to organize a church and to appoint those who should be in charge of different tasks that need to be done. And that's what we're doing here at uh, Johnson Street. We've had this in place for a long time. Churches of Christ have always had deacons that were recognized. But it's time to revive that system, to freshen it up, to bring in new leadership within that group. Uh, Those of you who have come in and have gotten busy, uh, the elders want to recognize you for the service that you're offering to this church and wants this church to continue to be well organized so that it can be effective in its work, particularly in the physical needs of the kingdom of God here uh, in San Angelo. So over the next few weeks, you will be given a way to respond uh, and to be a part of this process. Uh, in the, the New Testament, it looks like that, and, and if we read the rest, that the, that the elders and bishops just simply appointed them. Uh, even the preacher got to appoint them. But like I said, there's flexibility, and our elders are saying, we want your voice to be heard too. We want you to look out into this group of people and to identify those who have servant hearts and those who are busy about the, the kingdom of God and its work and recommend them to us, as in Acts chapter 6. And then we will appoint them uh, as deacons. So, we haven't preached the gospel today, but I want to close with Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the church and how it fits into the plan of God and uh, how it is a necessary part of the life of any child of God. He says this, We want everyone to see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I love that passage, that the wisdom of God is to be made known through the church. This is a church that works hard in the kingdom of God, We're talking about our organization today, but before we leave, we want to function as a church that cares about your soul as well. We're going to stand, we're going to sing a song. Some of our church leaders, the elders, the bishops of this congregation, are going to be standing around the edges of this room. They're there for you.
And if you came to this place today bearing a heavy burden, uh, something that is on your heart, on your mind, they are there to pray with you and to help you to find the wonderful peace that God can give to us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then now is the time. Now is the time to come and to step forward and say, I want to be a part of the mystery of God as revealed in his church. Let's stand and sing together.